Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Um, I think the message today and what we're about to do on Wednesday is, is kind of an example of, of that, of uh, taking up your cross and uh, following the Lord because uh, this solemn assembly is, is something the Lord's been dealing with me about for uh, this, this year. Uh, so it's 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 been a while in coming, and uh, as as a leader, when when the Lord is is speaking something to you, and uh, you're you're not really seeing Him speak the same thing to other people, uh, you you kind of wonder. Uh, you know, am I am I really hearing God? God, is this really you? And and so, I, I asked the Lord for some confirmation about this, and and uh, he he gave me that with Ann Graham Lott's seven 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 call to prayer back in in July, and when I listened to her message that she delivered. Uh, at the National Day of Prayer this year, and if you have not yet heard that, uh, it, you you want to hear that. It's it's only about a half hour, uh, but it, it's a very powerful message about how the Lord has been sounding the alarm uh, to His people in in America, uh, and this this has been going on for years that that He's been sounding this alarm. So, uh, for people who are new and relatively new, I'm, I'm going to try to catch up quickly with uh, sort of where we are. And part of the message today is uh, why are, are we doing a solemn assembly? And, and sort of what that looks like and uh, we're... We're still kind of piecing together exactly what this is going to look like uh, on Wednesday night. And this will not be the only solemn assembly in Cheyenne in the near future. Uh, But I I guess what I I have to tell you is uh, the, the more that I've studied about solemn assemblies, the more I seek the Lord about this whole thing and where our nation is and, and what's happening, uh, I have only become more convinced that this is the thing to do. Uh, last week, we looked at Deuteronomy 28 and how it's the Lord's desire for his people to to bless us. It's, it's his desire that we, we live in, in such a state of blessing from him that, that we are a light 
to the rest of the world. And we, we know that even Israel was, his intent was that they be priests to all the nations of the world. And they, they eventually did not fulfill that. Uh, and we know that that is his desire for us, the people who follow Jesus today. It's the Lord's desire that we be priests to the nations. And two primary functions of priests are that we go to God on behalf of the people and, and we, we pray to the Lord for, for the people and that we go to the people on behalf of God and, and we bring the people what God is saying. And in order for us to do that, we, we have to hear what God is saying. And there's, uh, there's been what I would call a, a gross misunderstanding of circumstances in, in the United States uh, in, in the last 10 years especially, uh, but probably longer than that that as, as we have seen uh, a moral decline in, in America, uh, the church has not looked in the mirror to see where the real problem is. In, instead, we, we've criticized the government, we've criticized uh, evil people, we've, we've criticized everybody, but we, we haven't really seriously looked in the mirror to see that, that we are indeed the problem. And, 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 and that is, is exactly uh, the situation that a solemn assembly is designed to address. And uh, I, I hope you brought your Bibles today because I, I, I did not put together a, a PowerPoint today, but I, I want to look at Second Chronicles 7.13. Once again, 13 and 14. 14 is the one that's most familiar and, and I'm, we're, we're looking at this in light of the whole message of Deuteronomy 28, that, that God delights in blessing his people when we love him with our whole being, when we walk in all his ways, and, and we cleave to him, that we, we are a people of his presence, a people who are getting in his space. And, and when we are doing those three things, then he pours out the blessing. And then we saw last week how in the second half of Deuteronomy 28, we see what happens when the people of God are not doing that. That it, it is just the opposite. Everything is switched. Where, where there was blessing, now the blessing is withdrawn. So, 
this passage in Second Chronicles 7 is, is from the Lord to Solomon. And the, the Lord is, is saying this, if, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And what we have been talking about as, as a solemn assembly is the way that we accomplish exactly this. That we, we corporately... As, as a body of people, we, we do exactly what the Lord says. We humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And then God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And last week I... I I defined a solemn assembly for you, and I, I think this is pretty close to the def definition that I gave you. It's a, a means of fulfilling Second Chronicles 7.14 and appropriating grace to obey God more fully and experience God's restoration. That's what a solemn assembly is all about. It's it's fulfilling the Lord's directive in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14 in, in a corporate way. And we, we have to understand that the Lord deals with nations differently than he deals with individuals. Because... Some, some people, especially in America today, have difficulty with the idea that God in heaven, our, our Father, Abba, and, and Jesus, part of the Godhead and the Holy Spirit, would, would bring judgment upon a nation after, after the cross. Well, it's, it's happened many times since the cross. It, it happened before the cross. It, it happened to Israel. It, it happened to the nations that Israel drove out of the promised land. Uh, God is unchanging. And, and he is a God of justice. And uh, the, the passage that, that the Lord really began to speak to me about the solemn assembly through was, was the book of Joel. And I, I would like to look at some of that today because the situation in, in the book of Joel was quite similar to, to where our nation is um, today um, 
They, they had experienced some preliminary judgments of God, and that, that is, is where we are. Uh, so turn with me to the book of Joel, and we're not going to look at the whole book, even though it is pretty short. We're going to look at some passages. So we'll start in the very beginning. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against the land, powerful and beyond number." So what, what's happened in this case is that there was a, a plague of locusts that, that was horrible. They, they essentially wiped the land clean. There, there was also a drought. And, and there was also an attack from enemy people who were pretty horrible militarily. Uh, has anything like that happened in our day? Well, yes. Uh, the answer is uh, what happened on 9 11? That could be seen as an example of the first encroachment in, into Israel in, in the book of Joel by, by their military enemy. Uh, have, have we ever seen a whole city in the United States underwater? Uh, well, just fairly recently. Uh, with Hurricane Katrina. We, we saw uh, a whole city virtually underwater. And, and we've, we've seen many and multiple natural disasters. And, you know, so that, that brings up the question, does, does God really do this? Well, if, if we listen to our spiritual fathers uh, in the Bible, they understood pretty clearly that when those kind of calamities began to happen, and especially when they began to happen with some frequency, that they looked to the Lord. Either he was allowing it, he had lifted his protection or he was bringing it as a, a disciplinary judgment to, to bring correction to his own people. 
Well, in, in our relatively humanist uh, 21st century understanding of things, uh, when pastors announce things like Hurricane Katrina being the judgment of God, they're, they are castigated. Uh, uh, and, and that happened a number of times. And, and with other natural disasters that have happened prior and since. Uh, I, I don't think we are at a higher place of understanding of these things than our spiritual fathers were. Um, in, in America, well, let's, let's get to the, the idea of a solemn assembly because some think it's, it's only an Old Testament practice. Uh, since the vast majority of our biblical examples of solemn assemblies happened in the Old Testament, uh, where we had Israel experiencing a preliminary judgment, God raising up a leader with a burden to see the people come back to the Lord, and, and calling a solemn assembly, calling, gathering the people, and corporately seeking forgiveness and crying out to the Lord for healing and restoration. Most of those examples happened in the Old Testament. But I, I would ask you to consider uh, the book of Acts when we had 120 people in the upper room in Jerusalem for 10 days after seeing Jesus resurrected and, and being instructed by him about the kingdom of heaven and they're in the upper room and Jesus told them just to wait and, and we know a couple things that they were doing they were praying and they got to the place where they were of one heart and one mind I, I submit to you that the second part of that could not have happened unless they had a solemn assembly. I, I believe that was a solemn assembly. It became one. It, it wasn't called, but because they were together, and, and I believe they reached a point of desperation together. They had no idea. Jesus just told them to wait. And they were going on very little information. I, I think they were desperate. Uh, unfortunately, most of the church in America has not gotten to the point of desperation. I submit to you that, and, and when I... When I say this, okay, I'm, I'm not just speaking of those people out there who call themselves followers of Jesus. I'm, I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you. Okay, just, just so we're clear. Uh, the church of Laodicea 
in Revelation chapter 3, unfortunately describes pretty well the situation that we have in, in the church in America today. Because they're, they're called lukewarm. My son hates that term. <laughs> so sometimes we say Danny warm, but <laughs> you probably don't like that either. <laughs> okay, good. But the, my son's name is Luke, so if you don't know that. Uh, now the meaning of that Greek word that's translated lukewarm is, is essentially unconcerned, unmoved, uncaring, uh, We're, we're in a desperate situation. Because uh, when... I, I, I've got to read a, a quote to you from Richard Roberts who, who wrote a, a fine paper on Solemn Assembly. As soon as it becomes evident that immorality is on the increase and spirituality is on the decrease, the spiritually alive and biblically sound church will not foolishly blame the world, but will recognize its own complicity. The church must first repent for the remedial judgment was not against the world, but the church. Because judgment comes first to the house of God. So in times of spiritual decline and moral decay, the great duty of every Christian is both to discover those sins which have caused the judgment and to put them away by the method that God has specified. Second Chronicles 7.14, which is the solemn assembly. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy that I can read that to you and not have half of you get up and leave. Because I have a feeling if I did that in a lot of churches today, that's exactly what would happen. Uh, it, it shows me that God is indeed working on our hearts. Uh, that there is a, a level of humility that is, is being brought forth in, in us. As, as a body and I'm, I'm very thankful for that because I've been praying fervently for that as, as we've moved toward this, this solemn assembly so uh, I want to go back to the book of Joel for a minute so given the situation that a a remedial judgment has come and and that it has it has been serious okay 
we'll move on to verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. And then, if we skip down a few more verses to chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them, through the years of all generations. And that's, this is a warning of, of what the final judgment will look like. And, and, and it's, it's rather sobering. Because the, the Lord has, has had to do this many times. He, remedial judgments are, are usually ignored by the people of God. Because usually... As, as you look at the nation of Israel and, and Judah in, in the Old Testament, uh, when, when they were living under the first half of Deuteronomy 28 in the blessing and things got great and they had great possessions and plenty of food and everything, and, and then they would begin to turn from the Lord. And, and it, it wasn't until remedial judgments got to the point where they were bad that the people began to wake up. And, and the Lord is, is speaking to us and inviting us to be part of crying out to Him for healing of our nation before things have gotten really terrible. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful for, for that because the, the end for us here in America, if, if we ignore the remedial judgments of, of the Lord, is, is not going to be any better than when Israel was, was taken off by Assyria to captivity or when Judah was taken to Babylon 
and 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 the land vomited them out is the terminology that that the Lord uses in Leviticus 18 uh, it's that things things can get so bad that the ground cries out to be cleansed and and God God has to remove the people at that point we we don't want it to get to that point uh, I mean here here we are America we we think that we're we're completely immune from the possibility of that happening because we're we're the only superpower in in the world anymore well I I kind of wonder if, if we are a superpower anymore no no offense to anybody in the military uh, we're because we we are living in the second half of Deuteronomy 28 we we are we're not anywhere near what we were just a, a few decades ago um, so let's let's finish up the book of Joel uh, a few more things I wanted to look at because here here is is where we are the warning was given of what what may come and and in fact what what would come if if there wasn't a turning in the beginning of chapter 2 now here is the prescription once again in chapter 2 verse 12 yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all of your heart with fasting with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments he's saying tear away those wrong affections for the things of the world don't just make it a show by tearing your garments return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God and again blow the trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast call a solemn assembly gather the people consecrate the congregation assemble the elders gather the children even the nursing infants let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar let the priests the ministers of the Lord weep between the presence of God and the people he says let the ministers weep and say spare your people O Lord make not your heritage a reproach a byword among the nations why should they say among the people where is their God
And then we look forward to the part beginning in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hmm. So, <clears throat> Alan Hood of IHOP gave a, a really powerful message on solemn assemblies just prior to the July 7th solemn assembly that they held that was part of Ann Graham Lott's call to repentance for America. And he, he talked about why it is that so often the people of God do not discern the time that they are in, or they do not discern correctly the time of God's visitation. And I, I want to share with you some of those reasons because uh, I, I know some of you have questions uh, about this. I, I, I do, and I, I know there, there are people who, who aren't here, who I wish were here, who have questions. And I, I'm going to share with you some of these problems that the people of God have. We're tempted to bolster our personal comfort with the wrong biblical themes in the time of crisis. Meaning that we're, we're looking at the wrong biblical messages for the time that, that we're in. And a, a good example of this is Isaiah um, 36 and 37 versus Isaiah 39. And, and this is the story of King Hezekiah. And <laughs> I, I guess I, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you this uh, anyway because it's kind of part of this story. I was wondering if I was going to have to do this or not. But I don't know how many of you have studied the solemn assemblies that I've mentioned uh, over the last uh, messages that have, have covered this. But if you, <laughs> and, and, and this, this is not cheerful, that's why I, I really, I didn't really want to talk about this, but I, I have to. Because so many times when there would be a solemn assembly and the people of God would be restored to the favor of God, 
something horrible would happen. Uh, many times, a, a huge foreign army would, would come against the nation uh, right on the heels of the solemn assembly. And, you know, for me, in, in my inadequate human thinking, that, that hardly seems fair. Uh, <clears throat> but it allowed the Lord to, <laughs> to really test the heart of the leader. Because <laughs> what, what happened in Isaiah 36 and 37 is Hezekiah had an incredible solemn assembly and the people were restored to the favor of the Lord. And then the Assyrian army comes and, and they, they take most of the cities of, of Judah. And, and they come against Jerusalem. And... And, and they, they tell Hezekiah through uh, the messengers, look, there's no use. You know, we're, we're coming and, and we're going to get you. And in fact, if, if you don't surrender, we're, we're going to kill everybody. So, and, and don't even think about calling on your God because, you know, look, look what happened to all these other countries that we've already annihilated and, and their gods. Well, fortunately, Hezekiah's heart was, was in the right place in Isaiah 36 and 37. And, and he, uh, he sent for Isaiah the prophet, and, and Isaiah gave him the word of the Lord. He said, you, you got nothing to worry about. God is going to come against these people and, and he, this Assyrian king, he, he is going to, they're going to go back to Assyria and when he gets back home, he's going to die. And Hezekiah believed the word of the Lord and, and there was great victory. The Assyrians completely pulled out they didn't even have to fight a war or even a battle. They left, and as soon as they got back to Assyria, the king was killed. Just as the Lord had said. But another situation comes in Isaiah 39. Same king. This time he begins to operate with pride and the word of the Lord to him is completely different. In fact, uh, yeah, well, you read it yourselves. It's, it shows that there, there had been a heart change in Hezekiah that that wasn't good. But if, if he had counted on the word of the Lord from 
Isaiah 36 and 37 in that situation, he'd have been in big trouble. And that's why we had better have the word of the Lord for now and not trust in some promises of the Lord that apply in a different context in order to comfort ourselves that the Lord would not do that to us. Because we should know that the Lord is not a respecter of persons or nations. He's, he's a God of justice. Also a God of mercy. Which is why uh, we, we do the solemn assembly. Uh, second, we confuse God's dealings with individuals and, and with nations. And I, I gave you the story, I think, last week about the Civil War. <laughs> uh, if, if that isn't a picture of, of this, I, I don't know what is. It was the Battle of Fredericksburg, and the night before the battle in the Union camp and the Confederate camp, revival is breaking out, and, and people are being saved and spontaneously at the same time on both sides they they start singing the same hymn as if they were singing in unison but then the next morning they get up and blow each other's heads off uh, And I encouraged you to read Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address because he recognized the Civil War as the judgment of the Lord upon our nation for the hundreds of years of slavery beforehand. Uh, third, we need the fear of the Lord restored. I've, I've talked about the, the extreme grace message that, that some are, are preaching today. It, it doesn't sell very well outside of America. Where, where people are more in tune with the remedial judgments of God and his, his true mercy, his true character. Uh, but it, it seems to sell here. And that is, is one of the characteristics of the Laodicean lukewarm church that they lacked the fear of the Lord. Another factor, and, and this is a very important one because it's a, a real one <clears throat> that, that can catch any of us, and it's, it's the lull 
the lag time between the initial remedial judgments of God and, and the final judgment. Uh, in, in Judah, there, there was decades between the initial remedial judgments and, and the time they were finally marched off to Babylon. And it's, it seems like a long time ago that Hurricane Katrina happened. It, it seems like a long time ago 9-11 took place. It, it seems like things have been pretty peaceful and we've been fairly safe since then. Right? And I hear you say peace and safety. Don't. <laughs> As you know what that verse says. When they say peace and safety, destruction comes upon them quickly. Um, we, we, we can't um, misunderstand the, the mercy of God and, and his patience for him changing his mind. Okay? Because the, the reality is that we see in, in the Word of God is when, when the remedial judgments come, if, if there is not a turning, then destruction comes. Period. End of story. It, it may be decades later, but it's the way God works. So let's, let's be thankful for this lag time that we have had because it's, it's given us time to process all of this and and to actually plan to do something corporately. Um, I'll, I'll use his words here, uh, our, our own lethargy and compromise. God's judgments are intended to purify his people we see sin more like dirt on a shirt than a lethal disease. And our spiritual fathers looked upon sin much more seriously. In fact, our nation has a great history of solemn assemblies. Uh, Sadly, almost entirely before the 20th century. 
when things began to decline spiritually. But if, if you look in, in the archives of the churches in America in the 1700s, the 1800s, you, you will see many, many examples of calls for fasting, days of fasting, corporate fasting, and calls for solemn assemblies. And it, it kept the church in, in a, a state of humility and, and being molded and, and usable for, for the Lord. Our prayerlessness causes us to be disconnected from the heart of God and not know what he is doing. And un unfortunately, I, I think that that particular one is a huge issue for the church in America. And that's why I'm calling all of us to pray for at least an hour a day in these I called you last week, but I call you again to do that until Wednesday, and I, I would call you to continue it after Wednesday because I believe the time will be more fruitful after Wednesday. And, and finally, one, one that I, I sort of mentioned already is, is a lack of understanding of God's involvement in crises and natural disasters that that God does indeed use those things to wake up his people and and that is what was needed by the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 they needed to be woken up and Anne Graham Lott's message at the National Day of Prayer in, in 2014 was all about the alarms that had been, have been sounding in, in America. And alarms are rude things. Uh, do, do any of you have an alarm that when it goes off it says... Joy, it's time to get up. You've, you've had such a nice sleep. You're well rested. It's time to start your day. That's, that's not how alarms work. Because I, I know Joy's alarm. Because she gets up at like 4.30 every morning because she has to be to work at 5.30. And that thing is loud it is obnoxious, and I can't possibly sleep through it. So I get up and make her an Americano every morning. <laughs> but that's what God has been trying to do. He's saying, wake up, my people. And, and when we see these specific things happening 
that are in the second half of Deuteronomy 28, those are alarms. Because we see that things used to be like this in America in the first half of Deuteronomy 28. Now, they're like this. We, we used to lend to many nations and, and be a borrower from none. Now, oof, that, that's specifically listed in, in Deuteronomy 28. Ah. So, my, my own experience with, with a solemn assembly, because uh, Joy and I have been through a solemn assembly, uh, we uh, were part of one. This is about um, 16 years ago. And we were in a church that was having some, some real difficulty uh, with, with being, uh, behaving rightly toward one another and obeying God and, and uh, not doing what, what men wanted. And uh, the leaders of the deacons, uh, we, we called a solemn assembly. And not that many people showed up. But, um, and, and, and I don't really know... Um, the, the spiritual uh, history of all the people that, that were part of that. Uh, but I, I can tell you this for Joy and I. That it completely changed the path that we had been on. Uh, we afterward, spiritually, everything changed. And nothing was ever the same for us again. And it's, it's my belief and my hope that the reason that God is calling us to this now is, is that he wants that to happen with a whole group of people. That I, I see this as a, a means of appropriating grace from the Lord and, and grace is the empowering to obey uh, I, I see this as a means of appropriating grace to obey God at a whole new level for us who will truly participate in this.
And because the, the heart of God, we know from Second Chronicles seven fourteen, he he desires that we humble ourselves and that we repent, that we turn from our wicked ways, from from our partial obedience, from our wrong priorities, from our wrong understanding of what it means to to be the church or to be in the church so that he can restore us so that he can not only heal us and and take us to a new place he he can heal our land so you know this this thing that we're going to do on Wednesday um, if if you're not serious about it, don't come. Okay, I I gotta say that because <laughs> it's gonna be like nothing you've ever experienced. Uh, not not right now, but maybe. <laughs> I know it won't be weird, but it's it's gonna be. <laughs> so I I want to read a couple things, uh, probably in closing. Um, <clears throat> there there have been other solemn assemblies in, in the U.S. more recently. In 1991, the Southern Baptists met in Atlanta for a three-hour solemn assembly. They repented for denominational sins. They humbled themselves and poured out their hearts to God. In June, they conducted a national prayer conference on the Solemn Assembly at their New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. T.W. Hunt of the Southern Baptist Discipleship Training Department said of his experience in a Solemn Assembly, they are not like anything I have ever... seen before. Confession times are very, very serious. And Hunt also observed a stunning type of silence that comes across the group. Sometimes after we dismiss with final prayer, nobody moves. They just sit there. God is doing something different than anything I have ever seen in my life. That was T.W. Hunt, who is a highly respected leader of the Southern Baptists. 
someone I have listened to. A recent student of revival and solemn assemblies wrote, Prayer will convict recalcitrant Baptists and others. of our slovenly habits of backbiting and self-indulgence under the guise of piety. When we can earnestly pray for and put in front of our own desires the welfare of others, we will cross a mighty barrier. Concluding, the editorialist notes the Great Awakening will come when we recognize that personal white flags of surrender have to be raised by all of us. And I, I think I'm going to close with something from David Wilkerson. God is looking for a people who will sorrow and grieve over the reproach of the Church of Jesus Christ in these days. I am talking about the church that was born at Pentecost. I am talking about the church that was born in the teaching of the Apostle Paul and the other Apostles. The church born in the doctrine of the Godhead of Jesus Christ. That born-again church is under attack, and that church is suffering reproach. It has been prophesied that in this day of reproach, shame, and disgrace, God is going to raise up a holy remnant who are going... <laughs> who are going to grieve and weep over this defilement. God will have a remnant that will not sit idly by while all of these things invade the church. God says, I will have a people that are not going to be satisfied to go their merry way and just ignore what is happening as charlatans and money-mad false prophets are coming into the house of God and destroying everything in sight. God is going to gather a people who grieve over this. If you truly love the Lord and you love his church, you cannot look honestly at what is happening today. Do you want the burden of the Lord? 
then get alone with him. So I, in my personal journey, uh, have gone from wondering if this was the Lord to thinking it was the Lord and wanting to run from it to knowing it was from the Lord and not wanting to be the vessel to embracing it. Because if not us, who? And if not now, when? I don't know how much time we have left. So, I'll be here Wednesday. And I invite all of you who want to receive more grace uh, to come and once this thing starts uh, there's no telling what God will do and, and I'm okay with that This is, this is his thing. And if, uh, if any of you want to uh, talk to me about this, about participating in it, um, talk to me in the next couple days. Uh, Joy and I will be at the Wyoming House of Prayer um, Tomorrow night from 6 to 8, the Lord just kind of worked that schedule in. <laughs> um, this, this is where we are. Uh, and, and the Lord is, is going to do something. And I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> uh, like I said it, there was a time I complained about being the one with the burden but um, the Lord's called me to be a forerunner in some things and this is one of those things.
So I, I want to pray over all of us today and those who are not here. Um, <clears throat> Father, I, I thank you for your ways, for your goodness. Uh, your wisdom. I thank you that you invite us in the book of Zechariah. You say, return to me, and I will return to you. May we, as a people, return to you with all of our hearts. May we rend our hearts and not our garments. May you turn and have mercy and leave a blessing for us as we obey you and ask you for mercy. And Lord, I, I pray in these next three days that you would do something in our hearts that you would shine your light into our hearts and show us our current spiritual condition and that individually and corporately you would take us to a new place of obedience and love for you. For the glory of your Son. Amen. The timing of this is interesting. It is the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah. Starts at sunset on Wednesday. Sunset will be during the meeting. But the other part is um, the, the seventh anniversary of the, the first service of, of this church is September 30th. And on September 30th, we, we will begin our eighth year. And, and the, the number eight, seven is the number of completion. The number eight is the number of new beginnings. There, there is a new beginning that is about to happen. 
Amen. Yes. <laughs> Lord, keep us safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we war from a place of victory. <laughs> Not for the victory. <laughs> Thank you. We'll have our prayer team up here. Um, definitely spend at least an hour in prayer each day between now and Wednesday. Amen.